This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. The poem says, Human voices wake us and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. So I wanted to do at least two more episodes on Egyptian mythology before moving on. And the next place to go has to be the Book of the Dead, which is also called the Book of Coming Forth by Day. And just to give a little sense of where this book falls in Egyptian history, you'll remember that in the episode I did on the pyramid texts, that the earliest pyramid texts that we have from the uh, Pharaoh Unas came from the 5th dynasty, roughly 2300 BCE. And the Book of the Dead doesn't begin to come together until what's called the New Kingdom, and specifically in the 18th dynasty, which begins around 1569 BCE. And it remains, I believe, the, uh, the main religious text of Egypt until the Roman period which isn't too shabby. This, uh, what I'm about to read is uh, the introduction that Miriam Lichtheim gives to her selection of spells from the Book of the Dead uh, in one of her anthologies. And I will only be reading one of those spells, although it's the central and the most famous one, chapter 125. But before that, this gives a very good introduction to what the Book of the Dead is. This is what Miriam Lichtheim says. The Book of the Dead, or the Coming Forth by Day, as the Egyptians called it, was a large compilation of spells designed to bring about the resurrection of the dead person and his safety in the afterlife. It is the direct successor of the Middle Kingdom coffin texts. Like the pyramid texts and and the coffin texts, The Book of the Dead reflects ritual acts performed during and after the burial. Gathered into a collection and inscribed on papyrus scrolls, the spells acquired the form of a mass-produced book that could be purchased by anyone. The prospective owner merely had to have his name and titles inserted in a ready-made scroll, or he could have a copy made to order. The finished scroll was buried with its owner, either placed on the sarcophagus or on the body itself, or in a special container. At the beginning of the New Kingdom, the Book of the Dead was still in the process of formation. It achieved its final form in the Saiyate period, the 26th dynasty, when all its spells were put into a fixed sequence of chapters. 
Modern scholarship has added numbers to the chapters, and the total number of chapters presently known is 192. No individual scroll contains all the chapters. In their fixed sequence, the chapters offer a certain degree of order, but no precise plan or progression. The texts were written in cursive hieroglyphs and are accompanied by illustrations or vignettes drawn in ink of various colors. Like those of the pyramid texts and the coffin texts, the spells of the Book of the Dead vary greatly in length. One of the longest and the most famous is chapter 125, The Judgment of the Dead. The chapter's principal illustration is the scene that shows the weighing of the dead person's heart on the scales before an assembly of gods who are presided over by Osiris. The selection of the Book of the Dead texts given here is designed to lead up to chapter 125 through a small sampling of a few major themes and a number of short spells selected to serve as background against which to view the climactic judgment scene. It is evident that the Book of the Dead is a book of magic. In all periods of ancient Egyptian culture, magic was considered a legitimate tool, and in the confrontation with death, the magical approach attained its most luxuriant growth. That is to say, magical means were not felt to be inimical to piety, or I would say morality. If not inimical, the reliance on magical means was nevertheless distinct from the humble approach to the gods which informs the prayers. No other nation of the ancient world made so determined an effort to vanquish death and win eternal life. Individual thinkers might increasingly lose faith in the promise of eternal life, and might adopt attitudes of resignation or even skepticism. But the majority appear to have clung to the hope of a bodily afterlife and to a reliance on magic as the means to achieve it. Eternal life had come to be conceived in the most grandiose terms. The dead were to become godlike and join the company of the gods. Yet, when combined with the ethical concept of a judgment in the hereafter, the magical approach could not but be contrary to morality and piety. It is thus no accident that the positive virtues taught in the instructions and affirmed in the autobiographies are almost all given the form of negative statements in chapter 125. The dead delivers a long recitation of sins not committed in order to pass the judgment of the gods. Magic and morality are here yoked together, but they remain incompatible. And here is chapter 125, The Judgment of the Dead, The Declaration of Innocence. To be said on reaching the hall of the two truths, so as to purge the name of any sins committed, and to see the face of every god. Hail to you, great God, Lord of the two truths. I have come to you, my Lord. I was brought to see your beauty. I know you. I know the names of the forty-two gods who are with you in the hall of the two truths, 
who live by the warding off of evildoers, who drink of their blood. On that day of judging characters before Wenofer, lo, your name is he of two daughters, and he of Ma'at's two eyes. Lo, I come before you, bringing Ma'at to you, having repelled evil for you. I have not done crimes against people. I have not mistreated cattle. I have not sinned in the place of truth. I have not known what should not be known. I have not done any harm. I did not begin a day by exacting more than my due. My name did not reach the bark of the mighty ruler. I have not blasphemed a god. I have not robbed the poor. I have not done what the god abhors. I have not maligned a servant to his master. I have not caused pain. I have not caused tears. I have not killed. I have not ordered to kill. I have not made anyone suffer. I have not damaged the offerings in the temples. I have not depleted the loaves of the gods. I have not stolen the cakes of the dead. I have not copulated nor defiled myself. I have not increased nor reduced the measure. I have not diminished the aurora. I have not cheated in the fields. I have not added to the weight of the balance. I have not falsified the plummet of the scales. I have not taken milk from the mouth of children. I have not deprived cattle of their pasture. I have not snared birds in the reeds of the gods. I have not caught fish in their ponds. I have not held back water in its season. I have not dammed a flowing stream. I have not quenched a needed fire. I have not neglected the days of meat offerings. I have not detained cattle belonging to the god. I have not stopped a god in his procession. I am pure, I am pure, I am pure, I am pure. I am pure as is pure that great heron in Hness. I am truly the nose of the Lord of breath, who sustains all the people. On the day of completing the eye in On, in the second month of winter, last day, in the presence of the Lord of this land, I have seen the completion of the eye in On. No evil shall befall me in this land. In this hall of the two truths, for I know the names of the great gods in it, the followers of the great God. And the declaration to the forty-two gods. O wide of stride who comes from On, I have not done evil. O flame grasper who comes from Kehara, I have not robbed. O long-nosed who comes from Kamun, I have not coveted. O shadow-eater who comes from the cave, I have not stolen. O savage-faced who comes from Rostau, I have not killed people. O lion-twins who come from heaven, I have not trimmed the measure. O flint-eyed who comes from Chem, I have not cheated. O fiery one who comes backward, I have not stolen a god's property. O bone-smasher who comes from Hness, I have not told lies. O flame-thrower who comes from Memphis, I have not seized food. O cave-dweller who comes from the west, I have not sulked. O white-toothed who comes from Lakeland, I have not trespassed. O blood-eater who comes from Slaughter Place, I have not slain sacred cattle. O entrail-eater who comes from the tribunal, I have not extorted. O Lord of Ma'at, who comes from Ma'ate, 
I have not stolen bread rations. O wanderer who comes from Bubastis, I have not spied. O pale one who comes from On, I have not prattled. O villain who comes from Anjati, I have contented only for my goods. O fiend who comes from Slaughterhouse, I have not committed adultery. O examiner who comes from Min's temple, I have not defiled myself. O chief of the nobles who comes from Imu, I have not caused fear. O wrecker who comes from Hui, I have not trespassed. O disturber who comes from the sanctuary, I have not been violent. O child who comes from the gnome of On, I have not been deaf to Ma'at. O forestaller who comes from Wensi, I have not quarreled. O Bastet who comes from the shrine, I have not winked. O backward-faced who comes from the pit, I have not copulated with a boy. O flame-footed who comes from the dusk, I have not been false. O dark one who comes from darkness, I have not reviled. O peace-bringer who comes from Sayas, I have not been aggressive. O many-faced who comes from Japheth, I have not had a hasty heart. O accuser who comes from Utjen, I have not attacked and reviled a god. O horned one who comes from Siut, I have not made many words. O Nefertem who comes from Memphis, I have not sinned, I have not done wrong. O timeless one who comes from Jadu, I have not made trouble. O willful one who comes from Jebu, I have not waded in water. O flowing one who comes from Nun, I have not raised my voice. O commander of people who comes from a shrine, I have not cursed God. O benefactor who comes from Hui, I have not been boastful. O Nebuchadnezzar who comes from the city, I have not been haughty. O high of head who comes from the cave, I have not wanted more than I had. O captor who comes from the graveyard, I have not cursed God in my town. And the address to the gods. Hail to you gods. I know you. I know your names. I shall not fear of you. You shall not accuse me of crime to this God whom you follow. No misfortune shall befall me in your account. You shall speak rightly about me before the All-Lord, for I have acted rightly in Egypt. I have not cursed a God. I have not been faulted. Hail to you, gods in the hall of the two truths, who have no lies in their bodies, who live on Ma'at and On, who feed on their righteousness before Horus in his disc. Rescue me from Babi, who feeds on the entrails of nobles. On that day of the great reckoning, behold me, I have come to you, without sin, without guilt, without evil, without a witness against me, without one whom I have wronged. I live on Ma'at, I feed on Ma'at, I have done what people speak of, what the gods are pleased with. I have contented a god with what he wishes. I have given bread to the hungry, water to the thirsty, clothes to the naked, a ferry boat to the boatless. I have given divine offerings to the gods, invocation offerings to the dead. Rescue me, protect me, do not accuse me before the great God. I am pure of mouth, pure of hands, one to whom welcome is said by those who see him. For I have heard the words spoken by the donkey and the cat in the house of the open-mouthed. I was a witness before him when he cried out, I saw the splitting of the Ished tree in Rostau. 
I am one who is acquainted with the gods, one who knows what concerns them. I have come here to hear witness to Ma'at, to bear witness to Ma'at, to set the balance in right position among the dead. O you who are high upon your standard, Lord of the Atef crown, who is given the name Lord of Breath, rescue me from your messengers who inflict wounds, who mete out punishment, who have no compassion. For I have done Ma'at before the Lord of Ma'at. I am pure. My front is pure. My rear is pure. My middle has been in the well of Ma'at. No limb of mine is unclean. I have washed in the well of the south. I have halted at the town of the north, in the meadows of the grasshoppers, where the crew of Ray bathes by day and by night, where the gods enjoy passing by day and by night. The First Interrogation Let him come, they say to me. Who are you, they say to me. What is your name, they say to me. I am the stalk of the papyrus. He who is in the morning is my name. Where have you passed by, they say to me. I have passed by the town north of the Moringa. What have you seen there, the leg and the thigh? What did you say to them? I have witnessed the acclaim in the land of the Fenghu. What did they give you? A firebrand and a faience column. What did you do with them? I buried them on the shore of the pool of Ma'ati at the time of the evening meal. What did you find there on the shore of the pool of Ma'ati? A scepter of flint, whose name is Breathgiver. What did you do to the firebrand and the faience column when you buried them? I lamented over them. I took them up. I extinguished the fire. I broke the column, threw it in the pool. Come then, enter the gate of this hall of the two truths, for you know us. And the second interrogation. I shall not let you enter through me, says the beam of this gate, unless you tell me my name. Plummet of the place of truth is your name. I shall not let you enter through me, says the right leaf of this gate, unless you tell me my name. Scale pan that carries Ma'at is your name. I shall not let you enter through me, says the left leaf of this gate, unless you tell me my name. Scale pan of wine is your name. I shall not let you pass over me, says the threshold of this gate, unless you tell me my name. Ox of Geb is your name. I shall not open for you, says the bolt of this gate, unless you tell me my name. Toe of his mother is your name. I shall not open for you, says the bolt clasp of this gate, unless you tell me my name. I of Sok Lord of Bahu is your name. I shall not open for you, I shall not let you enter by me, says the keeper of this gate, unless you tell me my name. Breast of shoe given him to guard Osiris is your name. We shall not let you pass over us, says the cross timber, unless you tell our name. Offspring of Renunet is your name. You know us, pass over us. You shall not tread upon me, says the floor of this hall. Why not, since I am pure? Because we do not know your feet, with which you tread on us. Tell them to me. Who enters before Min is the name of my right foot. Wenept of Nephthys is the name of my left foot. Tread upon us, since you know us. I shall not announce you, says the guard of the hall unless you tell my name. Knower of hearts, examiner of bellies is your name. 
To which God present shall I announce you? Tell it to the interpreter of the two lands. Who is the interpreter of the two lands? It is Toth. Come, says Toth, why have you come? I have come here to report. What is your condition? I am free of all wrongdoing. I am avoided the strife of those in their day. I am not one of them. To whom shall I announce you? To him whose roof is of fire, whose walls are living cobras, the floor of whose house is in the flood. Who is he? He is Osiris. Proceed. You are announced. The eye is your bread, the eye is your beer, the eye is your offering on earth, says he to me. And finally, the instructions for use. This is the way to act toward the hall of the two truths. A man says this speech when he is pure, clean, dressed in fresh clothes, shod in white sandals, painted with eye paint, anointed with the finest oil of myrrh. One shall offer him beef, fowl, incense, bread, beer, and herbs. And you make this image in drawing on a clean surface in red paint mixed with soil on which pigs and goats have not trodden. He for whom this scroll is recited will prosper, and his children will prosper. He will be the friend of the king and his courtiers. He will receive bread, beer, and a big chunk of meat from the altar of the great God. He will not be held back at any gate of the west. He will be ushered in with the kings of Upper and Lower Egypt. He will be a follower of Osiris. Effective a million times. So that is chapter 125 from the Egyptian Book of the Dead. I did want to add one thing here at the end, and after hearing that, I wanted to go back to something that Miriam Lichtheim had said, that magic and morality are here yoked together, but they remain incompatible. Um, I would be hesitant to go that far in criticizing the Egyptians. And I just wanted to read another opinion about this. Uh, this comes from the Oxford Encyclopedia of Ancient Egypt and their essay on ethics and morality. And this is what it has to say about chapter 125. It is intended to equip the deceased to face the final judgment. And as in much of Egyptian funerary literature, appeal is made to the power of magic. Yet even if in their hour of greatest need, the Egyptians were not averse to drawing on the magical power of the spoken and written word, this in no way diminishes the value of this text as a witness to their understanding of what constitutes proper moral behavior. Indeed, it is precisely because they took these moral standards seriously that they went to such lengths to avoid the consequences of not living up to them. Nor should one automatically draw the conclusion that because they appealed to magic, the Egyptians were ready to use unethical means to reach their desired goal. Chapter 30 of the Book of the Dead, which seeks to restrain the heart of the deceased from acting against him at the judgment, may seem to suggest this. In other words, the heart is told do not stand up against me as a witness before the Lord of Possessions, the Divine Judges. Do not say regarding me, he really did do that, 
concerning that which I have done. But the principle appealed to here, that accused persons cannot be forced to give evidence against themselves, is one also enshrined in present-day legal systems. Now even that seems a little too formal of a defense for me. Um, I would just point to one of the complaints that got Martin Luther going uh, uh, to jumpstart the Reformation, that he was upset with what the Catholic Church was doing, selling indulgences uh, to pious Catholics who would spend the money, and, uh, and Luther basically saw that as a way of bribing or buying dead souls out of purgatory, uh, which he saw as ridiculous and even vulgar. And you could probably say the same thing about the idea of purgatory itself. You can say that it uh, is slightly ridiculous, or you can see it, as, as I really do, as just what people need and do when it comes to dealing with death. Uh, I had a wonderful uh, conversation, a wonderful and revealing conversation, with a deeply devout Catholic who, on every other day, was ready to tell me exactly uh, the ups and downs the, the, with complete certainty of where people who believe this or that are going when they die. Uh, there was no brooking any doubt or uh, any nuance uh, with these beliefs about the afterlife. But when his brother, who was no longer a Catholic and I believe was uh, a Lutheran of some kind, when his brother died, I spoke to this Catholic and all of a sudden, the person who intellectually and on an average Wednesday, when he wasn't dealing with the death of someone that he knew, could say, this person is going to hell and this person is going to heaven. Suddenly, now that his brother had died, the question wasn't, wow, I can't believe that my brother is in hell now. The question was, I worry about where he is which meant that when personal experience of death came into it, so did doubt on what seems to be the more strict areas of dogma and faith. Um, I remember uh, listening to a podcast a while back, and if I can find it again, I will put it in the post description, and it was about the religious beliefs of uh, or I guess the crisis in religious belief that came to Britain uh, in the wake of World War I, whereas previously uh, their version of Protestantism that did not have a purgatory and which based itself on the idea of the good death at home, basically, with the family around, sufficed. But when you suddenly had an entire generation of young men dying suddenly, dying in huge numbers, dying far away from home, dying without any, uh, any sense of what a good death might be. Suddenly there was a hole, there was a huge gap blown in the, in the solace that, uh, that, the, that uh, Anglicanism, I guess, uh, gave the British people. And suddenly you found people 
wanting to pray for their deceased loved ones and wanting to help get them into heaven in a way that had never happened before because the, the opportunity had just never arisen to do it. I don't see any of this as being uh, cheap or naive or or even just desperate. It, it just seems to be what people do when they are confronted with death. And what little I've been able to share about how each, the ancient Egyptians dealt with death, it doesn't surprise me that they might try to manipulate the gods into doing what they wanted to do. Now, the, the section that I read, uh, Spell 125, I didn't see an awful lot of that in there, but I, I suppose you can see it elsewhere in the Book of the Dead and maybe in a few lines from that specific chapter. I would grant them that. Uh, th there was a sense from the chapter that I read of putting the entire kitchen sink into it. And again, that that's not... Uh, I don't fault them for that at all. I think we're in very dangerous territory when we try to criticize rather than simply understand how cultures that are now long dead thought about death and thought about the end of life. And it's very worth looking at the living religions in our own day to see what we do when someone close to us dies to sort of soften the blow, both for ourselves and for the soul that we imagine of our loved one going somewhere else. This is just what we have always done and what we will continue to do. And it's a great lesson, as always, to look back to these religious texts from thousands of years ago, to an alien culture, to one that looks, uh, looks and believes and sounds very different from how we believe how we enact rituals, how we pray, and to see that their concerns are not that terribly different from our own. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to humanvoiceswakeus, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.